following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. We've reached the end of the Gospel of Mark. In, I can't believe it. It's hard to imagine, but it's been a wonderful journey along with Jesus and his disciples through this Gospel. Um, Mark, John Mark has painted a vivid and powerful picture of the life and ministry of Jesus here on earth. And as I've said before, you may remember, Mark most likely wrote this gospel as a record of Peter's perspective of Jesus' earthly ministry. And as such, he is um, careful to show, I'll put it politely, the uh, humanity and frailty of the disciples. I don't know. They look like a bunch of jerks to me uh, most of the way through here. Well, here in chapter 16, as we look together, that humanity and frailty is on full display. In the midst of history's greatest event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But in the midst of their unbelief and frailty, Jesus himself displays for them and for us the only solution to the problem of their unbelief. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you now, come to your word and ask for your help to see the truth of your word, to apply to our hearts and lives, that we would be made more like Jesus as a result of our time together in your word. So speak to us now by your spirit, we pray. For your glory's sake, amen. Now, instead of reading this whole chapter and then going back and reading it again, I just want to take this a chunk at a time. um, As they have neatly divided it for us. And each one of these sections display the overwhelming problem of unbelief. Um, Now, I want to, before I read this text, any of this, I have to remind you that Jesus had told his disciples that he would be killed. He told them that. He told them at least three times recorded in Mark's gospel and even more in the other gospel writers. He told them he would be killed and he told them that he would be raised from the dead. Okay, I just want to make sure we have that understanding before we go any further. Jesus told them this was all going to happen. Um, He told them specifically, not just that he would die and rise from the dead, but he would be killed and in three days rise from the dead. Okay, so they he told them the timeline. This is not a mystery, not a secret. Although it appears to be. Um, Jesus, just to help you with your math, Jesus was crucified on a Friday, right? Um, and was buried Friday afternoon. He was in the tomb all day Saturday. And our text picks up 
after sunset Saturday briefly and then also into Sunday morning. So if you're wondering how do we get three days, there it is. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's three days. Okay. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they may go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And there saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And they said to him, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment has seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Mm. Now, I know it's not Easter. However, these are important events for us to consider all the time. And we have plenty to learn even in February, not just in April. So let's break this down. Here we have three ladies. Do you see three ladies here in our text? I could see how you could only see two because of English. We have three ladies, Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James, and Salome. So, Salome is a lady's name. It's not Mary, the mother of James and Salome. Salome is a separate person. She was there, too. So, I bet you came here wondering about that. So, probably not. I have to be careful with these things. They bore you with trivia. So uh, this, our text begins Saturday night. Once the Sabbath was over, that's Saturday after sunset, okay? Remember, Jewish Sabbath went from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, okay? So once the sun goes down, then they can go to the IGA and pick up their milk and bread, okay? <laughs> yeah, and turn the lights on and heat. So Saturday night... After sundown, these ladies bought some perfumes and spices to anoint Jesus' body early the next morning. Okay? Then, very early the next morning, they set out for the tomb. Now, this tells me a few things about these ladies. First, this shows these ladies loved Jesus. They wanted to honor him with this act of love to anoint his body with perfumes. Anointing his body with fragrant oils and spices that would mask the odor of decay. That's why they were doing this. This isn't a Jewish tradition. This was something they were doing special. They were motivated by great affection for the Lord Jesus. And I think we can appreciate that. A second thing it tells me not to pick on them, but they're not very good at planning. 
They, they, they didn't plan this out very well. They did think ahead Saturday night, get some spices and, and perfumes and stuff after the Saturday, Sabbath was over. They didn't think so much about getting help to roll away the big rock that was covering the door of the tomb. Now, when I first, think, uh, first read this and think, well, there's people around. Just go grab that guy. Come over here and help us move this rock, maybe. I don't know. But they didn't think about it anyway. Mark is the only gospel writer to point out this fact, uh, that they hadn't thought about the stone. But God worked it out. God always does, doesn't he? Now, it would be very easy to stop there. Here's our lesson, right? Here's our lesson for today. Focus on the devotion and affection and love of these women uh, and to focus on the idea that if we are, we're zealous to do good things for God, and want to do good for him, that he will roll the stones out of our way. Let's close in prayer, right? That sounds very uh, motivational calendar, you know, print that on a coffee mug. What's your stone in your life that God needs to roll away? Um, there's a theological word for things like that, and it's baloney. Baloney. This, this is not at all what's going on. Because if we stop there and say, these ladies love Jesus, they want to do good for him, and God removed the obstacles so that they could do it, and lo and behold, he had better in store for them than even they could imagine. If we stop there, we have a nice, fuzzy, warm message. But to do so would be to ignore the glaring third truth displayed by these women. What does their going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' dead body tell you about what they believed? They believed Jesus was still dead. This is a real problem. They believed he was still dead. They loved him. They had great affection for him. They wanted to do good for him, but they didn't believe him. Put that on your motivational calendar. This is a sermon unto itself. Lots of us say we love the Lord. Lots of us are eager to do good things for him. But how many of us are concerned with really knowing and believing what he said? Knowing his word, trusting his word to direct our lives. These ladies didn't. That's a problem. These ladies who are known for their love and their devotion displayed sin the sin of unbelief. They did not believe what Jesus said. Yet even in their wonderful unbelief, God's grace is displayed and gives them the privilege of seeing that stone rolled away and they got to talk face to face with an angel. Other gospel writers record two angels. Mark focuses on one. That's not a contradiction. He just doesn't mention the other guy because he didn't say anything. Don't worry about that. You weren't, I'm sure. Verse 4 says, And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. That's a very tame way to say their uh, response, alarmed. They were terrified. 
And he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So angels give these ladies instructions. And what are they? Go tell the disciples and Peter. I like he's, there's something to be said there. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Their instructions, tell the disciples, go to Galilee. And what do they do? Of course, like good, faithful, loving, devoted followers of Jesus that hang on his words, they did exactly as they were instructed, right? No, they didn't. They did just the opposite. They, they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. He says, go tell the disciples and Peter, go to Galilee. They freaked out and hid under a rock. Now, I mentioned Peter. He's mentioned specifically here and separate from the disciples. Now, that's not because um, Peter is preeminent. It's not because Peter is greater than the other disciples, as uh, some people would have us believe. He separated here because of his failure, not because of his honor. He was separated because he denied the Lord and had yet to be restored. And you can read that account, if you'd like, in John chapter 21. Mark doesn't record it. Now, if you're looking at the text of your Bible, you may see a note uh, about the verses that follow. And why they are separated, set apart like they are, is a fascinating conversation, uh, which we can have some other time. What you can know is that you can trust that these words, uh, these verses that follow are consistent with the rest of Scripture, and they are, in fact, canon. They are Scripture. This is not uh, extra. They belong here, and you can trust these words. So let's look at them together. Verse 9, bracket, bracket. Now, when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Now, this appearance of Mary Magdalene um, happened right after this group of ladies saw the angel in the empty tomb and took off. She apparently lingered a little longer, uh, and the other ladies freaked out and bolted. And what's most interesting about that, you can read that in the other gospel writers. Mark is very brief in his description. What's most interesting about that, I think, is uh, the reaction of her report of seeing Jesus alive. You saw him? He's alive just like he said. It's three days. He said he was going to rise, and he did. Hooray, let's go find him. No, of course not. 
That's not what they did at all. The scholars say that this is most likely because in the first century, the testimony of a woman was not considered valid. Hmm. Maybe. That may very well be the case. But the text is more clear than our English translators uh, share with us. It says they literally refused to believe her. They refused to believe her. Why would they? Why? Not just because uh, they, they wouldn't believe her because she was a woman. They obviously didn't believe Jesus either. Why would they believe her? He told them that he would rise. He told them he would rise on the third day. And here it is, day three. I'm shouting. Like they're here. I just want to grab them. And here's Mary, whom they all knew. They knew what had happened to her. They knew Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. And here she is reporting to have seen the risen Lord, and they refused to believe. Well, that doesn't really say anything about Mary, because Mary is not the only one they refused to believe. Look at verse 12. And after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Now here, this, is, uh, this account of Jesus um, is recorded in much further, greater detail in the Gospel of Luke. This is the, uh, disciple, Jesus appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's a village outside of Jerusalem. So, if you want to hear more about that, you can read Luke. So, we got two women who didn't believe the angels. Well, all three didn't believe the angels. The disciples didn't believe Mary. And maybe now there are two men, two males, two official legal witnesses, right? They'll believe them. No. They didn't believe them either. Now, it's easy from our perspective, obviously, to pick on the disciples because they really look really bad. They really look like a bunch of schmucks. And it's hard because we don't have their perspective. But if you think about, think about where they're at, they had nothing. They had nothing. Nothing but dashed hopes. Nothing... Uh, but broken dreams of the redemption of Israel. Luke records those two disciples on the road to Emmaus said, we were hoping that, th- that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel, but now he's been dead for three days. What, did, what was it about three days he said about being dead? I don't know, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Right? And they just move on. They have nothing. Jesus is gone. Their hopes are dashed. They're walled in on every side by barriers of unbelief. They were afraid. They didn't understand. They didn't listen. They didn't act. Why? Because they didn't believe. They didn't believe what Jesus said. They didn't go into Galilee. They didn't do any of the things they were told to do. All they did was cower in fear, and they were all alone, mourning 
and weeping and without Jesus in their unbelief. Announcements of angels, announcements from the women, announcements from the two disciples from Emmaus, still not enough to overcome their unbelief. But you know what was? Jesus. He was great enough to overcome their unbelief. Look at verse 14. And afterward, Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples. That's the 12 minus Judas. As they were reclining at table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Mark covers a lot (laughs) right there. J.P. Lang wrote that the circle of disciples does not become a believing church until Jesus himself reveals himself personally in their midst. And this is the whole underlying thought of the Gospel of Mark. Until Jesus reveals himself personally, they did not believe. You could sum up the whole gospel. We just can't do it without Jesus. Christ is the conqueror. He conquered sin by his death on the cross. He conquered death by rising from the dead. And he conquers unbelief by his very presence among us. He smashed all the barriers of unbelief that surrounded the disciples when he walked into the room. And he commissioned them to no longer be disciples, but now apostles. Ones who are sent to preach the good news to every creature, to the whole world. And he promised to be with them, to empower them, to cast out demons, to preach in languages they didn't know before. He promised to protect them from harm, and he promised to heal the sick through them. He promised that these signs would accompany them and confirm their message as they preached the gospel. And he was true to his word. On the day of Pentecost, can read in the first two chapters of Acts. He sent his Holy Spirit to fill all who believe so that those who follow Jesus would never be walled in by barriers of unbelief because he will always be present with us by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's how we can believe now. That's why these guys look like such dopes to us now because we have the Holy Spirit and they didn't. 
It's not them. Without the Holy Spirit, guess what, folks? We're schmucks too. Even with the Holy Spirit, sometimes, most of the time, all the time for me. (laughs) Jesus made sure that no one would ever be walled in by unbelief because of his presence, because of his Holy Spirit. And this also shows us what the Rubicon is. What, how do you get in on this? I want to be part of that. And most, some of us here have been part of that for a long time. Maybe some people uh, have not. I don't know. How do I get in on this? And Jesus answered in verse 16, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, just a point of order here. Baptism not required for salvation. It's belief that is required for salvation. Baptism just naturally follows that. Faith in Jesus is the only way. Faith in Jesus is the only standard by which mankind is going to be judged before God. Were you nice enough? Did you help enough people? Did you do enough good things? Well, you see, it says here you didn't murder anyone, so you're good. That's not how it's going to go, folks. Did you trust in Jesus? Do you trust his death on the cross was for you to take your place, to take your sins upon himself? That's the Rubicon. When we cross over that, when we cross over by having faith in Jesus, everything changes. Our life now and our life to come. Faith in Jesus is the only way. And what is faith? Our uh, Alistair Begg say it this way, faith, F. A-I-T-H. Aren't you glad I can spell? (laughs) Forsaking all, I trust him. That's it. We leave our own thoughts of our goodness behind. We leave our thoughts of the things that we conceive about what is right and wrong. We leave that behind. And we trust him. We trust him to describe to us what is right and wrong. We describe, uh, we trust in Him to determine the path of our life. We trust in Him to show us how we ought to live, how the church ought to be. That's faith. Not just agreeing that Jesus lived and died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's only part. We trust Him with our whole lives. That's the point. We trust him with everything. He is the one who gets to describe to us what is right, what is wrong, how to live, how to please him, and how to gain access into his eternal kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study this wonderful word this morning. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit 
so that we will never be alone. We will never be walled in by unbelief. Not without you. You'll be there with us. You promised you would never leave us and never forsake us. And we are so grateful for that. Lord, bolster our faith. Bolster our trust in you, trust in your word. That it's you who determines what is right and wrong, not our own thoughts, not our own culture. That it's you who determines how we ought to live, not our neighbors, not our uh, friends. Help us to live real lives of faith. Trusting you with every aspect of our lives. Using every bit of our lives to preach the good news to every creature. Do that wonderful work through us, Lord, as we do our best to live for you. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that makes it possible. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.